Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Um, now this morning, we begin a brand new sermon series in the Old Testament book called Joshua. And Joshua records events that, could, that occurred uh, 1,250 B.C. And these are things that took place after the wilderness wanderings. And it's time for the people of Israel to go in and take possession of the promised land. The book itself is named after its main character. His name's Joshua. Joshua, son of Nun. And those of you who think, wow, he's like Melchizedek. He doesn't have parents. We don't know where he's from. No, no, that's his dad's name, N-U-N. Joshua, son of Nun. He does have a father. His name's Nun. He is an, an Ephraimite. He's from the tribe of Ephraim. And what's curious that's going to come into our sermon series, he was born in slavery. His parents were believers, And the reason why we think that they were believers, two things. Number one, they named him Hoshea, not Yahshua, but Hoshea. That literally means salvation. But secondly, we discover in the scripture that he was the firstborn son. So his mother and father, even though he was probably 40 years of age, during the 10th plague, the Passover, if mom and dad did not believe and they did not put... The, the blood of the Passover lamb over their doorposts and lentils, um, he would have died. And so they were believers in, in this much. They named him Hoshea, and they practiced that first Passover. Um, I want you to understand, Joshua experienced the miracles of God. The ten plagues, the Red Sea crossing, water from a rock, and bread from heaven. So he experienced those things, and and the final thing I'm just going to say about the man before we look a little bit more about the themes in the book and then come back to him, is this. It was Moses that renamed him from Hoshea to Yahshua. And instead of Hoshea meaning salvation, Yahshua, Yahweh is salvation. And isn't it wonderful that this is actually the name where we get the name Jesus from? Same exact name. Yeshua is the Hebrew. Well, why did we pick this book to be in for the next couple of months? Let me just present to you some themes that we're going to discover along the journey. Whet your appetite to come back Sunday after Sunday. Uh, four themes in particular. Number one, the raising up of and the launching and supporting of next generational leaders teachers and ministers why because guess what we are not going to be here forever are we and by saying that i mean like not at journey church but also not breathing air on earth we are going to die and it is our mandate that we not only pass along the faith but all the lessons of leadership that we begin to identify raise up platform and pass the keys of authority and leadership along to a next generation. It's very likely that 
we will not enter whatever the promised land is for this church and this organization. It will be those who come after us. And so we need to keep that in mind. And that's a major theme in Joshua. Secondly, uh, just because we raise up and platform and pass along the keys of leadership to the next generation does not mean that we retire or step back or what I like to call phoning it in. That it's time for them to pay the price. We're just going to take it easy now and clap for them. That's not what we see in the book of Joshua. It is for us to do everything we can to keep up with them. And actually, if possible, to stay one step in front of them and continue to show them what it looks like to age well in Christ. And we're going to see that come up later on in the book of Joshua. Thirdly, all of us, no matter what season we find ourselves in, as individuals and corporately, we are called to be a people of faith and courage. That we are to be a people that, that take risks and, and that we actually choose to do challenging things. We are called to a life of adventure, faith, and obedience. And that's a major theme. And then finally, we also need to learn how to survive failure, discouragement, and setbacks. We need to become a resilient people because we see that things don't go perfectly even when the baton is handed off to a faithful generation, even they don't get it perfect. And so we need to learn from these things. We need to be people that are resilient in our own lives. We need to be resilient as a church. We need to get up. We need to keep attempting to punch above our weight class because our God that has called us is worthy of nothing less. Now, before we jump into the book of Joshua... This morning is something that I describe as a prologue. Before jumping into the book of Joshua, we want to look at the man named Joshua. His story does not begin in the book of Joshua, but it's well documented throughout the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Today we're going to actually drop right into the middle of, of what we can know about his journey. We're going to start here with something that I'm going to describe as his investiture ceremony. So we catch up to Joshua and Moses in Numbers 27, starting in verse 18 through 22. And this is at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. And this is what we read. The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him make him stand before eleazar the priest and all the congregation and you shall commission him in their sight you shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of israel may obey he shall stand before eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the urim before the lord at his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. But what's going on here in this investiture ceremony? Well, it was only a few days or weeks before that Moses disqualified himself from leading the charge across the river, and into the promised land. 
he had abused his spiritual authority and sinned. That even Moses didn't get it perfect. And it was going to cost him. And so it was not Moses, but it was his successor, Joshua, that was going to lead the charge. Moses was going to be allowed to see the promised land from the top of a mountain where he would die. But this is an investiture ceremony where where Moses is beginning to turn over the keys of authority and platform Joshua. And here's the question that I have for us today. Why Joshua? What is it about Joshua that qualifies him to lead a nation of maybe as many as five million in this conquest of Canaan, the promised land? What is it about Joshua. Well, as we read in the scripture reading today in the parable of the unjust steward or the unfaithful steward that uh, is interesting in and of itself, Jesus makes this statement in Luke 16, 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Joshua was not perfect, and what we're going to discover is, like Moses, he is a man with feet of clay. He was not perfect. He did not walk on water. That's the other Yeshua. But this Yeshua, this Joshua, while he was not perfect, he was faithful in the little. And his life really shows us the essence of the bottom line that I wrote for us this morning. If you have your bulletin, you'll see some sermon notes in there. And uh, this is what I believe his life teaches us and what we're going to look at today. Demonstrated in, in Joshua, bottom line, faithfulness means joyfully embracing the little while being ready and willing for the much. And both parts of that statement are so important and we violate it in both directions. There are those here that are filled with ambition. And that's a good thing. You know that you were created for a purpose and you want all of it. You can't wait to get there. But beware lest you are unfaithful in the daily tasks of everyday life. Your character, your integrity, your marriage, your children, your current occupation, that sometimes they're mundane, boring. Sometimes it's a phone call. You don't want to make it. You don't want to finish that project. You are sick of it. You don't want to be faithful in the little. You just can't wait for the much. And guess what? You're not going to get the much unless you take care of the little. There's another group of people in another direction in which we can violate this. And I have a feeling there's probably even more of this than the other. And that is, hey, listen, been there, done that, got my fingers burned. I'm okay. I am good. And what I have arrived at is good enough. A cooling of ambition because you've been damaged or hurt hurt or exhausted and you go no somebody else can do that 
I'll be right here being faithful in the little. And it's possible that God is calling you out and calling you up, but you've already checked out. And you just cannot, I cannot, we cannot do that. It's both and. To be joyfully embracing the little by, while being ready and willing for the much. Can I give you an example of this? I had uh, just a, a once-in-a-lifetime privilege this last Friday to do the benediction at uh, uh, an investiture ceremony for two federal judges. And it, I mean, it wasn't about me, but I'm just telling you, it was, a, it was an interesting scene to have a courtroom filled with judges. And I'm talking like um, the presiding judge of the state of Arizona Supreme Court, a bunch of, I think it's Ninth Circuit Court justices or judges from all over Arizona. The Flagstaff ones didn't get there, but it was a very austere group of individuals and, and just, a, just a privilege to be a part of this. But one of those judges was our very own Scott Rash. And uh, Scott's actually working in the nursery today. Okay, so, and I have permission, I already talked to him, and, and, um, but I met Scott 20 years ago, and um, Scott's had, had four major um, careers since I've, well, actually, I've, I've known him in three, but he had a career before I got here 20 years ago. Uh, he was a CPA, and for him, he just had a sense, God has something more. CPAs are great, and that's hard, and that's important, it's good enough, but Scott goes, I think I need to go to law school. So he went to law school and he became a lawyer in public practice. And um, while he was a lawyer, and this is when I came into the picture 20 years ago, and I knew him as a lawyer, and he just said, I just feel like God has something next for me. And it was really kind of exciting to be a part of his appointment to uh, the state of Arizona, Pima County um, Court of Superior, Superior Court. He was appointed by Jan Brewer. And uh, my family got, got to play a little part in that. But even as a judge for the Superior Court of Pima County, the state of Arizona, Scott still had this sense. He, he said it was good enough. And I'll just tell you, along the journey, he cared more about his marriage. He cared more about his children. He cared more about his friends. He cared more about this church than he did about his judgeship and what God might do with him next. But along that journey of, of taking care of business, being faithful where he was at, there's just a sense, though quite impossible to get there unless there is a God that wants him there. That's how he describes it. In this last Friday, three years late, he actually got his appointment three years ago during COVID, but it was his investiture ceremony. And the reason why I tell you that story is, is Scott demonstrating, again, he does not walk on water, only one person, actually Peter, but he actually started to drown. Scott does not walk on water, but Scott exemplifies this. I'm, I'm faithfully discharging my callings and duties, husband, father, church leader, friend, I also have this vocation in the public service arena 
and, and I just feel like maybe there's a next step. And I can't force it. I, I can just be ready for it and willing to step into that if the Lord would have that for me. Um, his life inspires me to keep stretching, keep reaching, to be content. And if this is all I ever do, that's good enough. But I should always be open to what God might have next. Here's a little statement that I wrote, and it's been rattling around in my head. And you can see it's actually printed at the bottom of your notes. And this is what's going through my mind. Faithful in what's now. Absolutely, yes and amen. Faithful in what's now. Open to what else. Meaning, do I have capacity right now to do something else as well as what I'm actually doing now? But then this is also preparing for what's next. And I think Scott's life and character and career demonstrates this. I think that this inspires faithful in what's now, open to what else, preparing for what's next. Now, there might be uh, an objector here that goes, are you kidding me? No, thank you. Someone else can do it. I don't need the stress. Why the ambition? Why always reaching? Can't you just find joy and contentment? Isn't Jesus enough? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely he is enough. So why the reach? Why the ambition? Why the desire to do something more, something else, something next? And I believe the answer is found in Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship. The word I love that in the Greek is poema. We are his poetry. We are his poem, his masterpiece in some translations. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand. And, and so it's like this. When we come to faith in Christ, we become his workmanship, according to the scripture. And the Lord has some foreordained good works, uh, a pathway, a portfolio of things for us to accomplish. He wants us to accomplish them. But notice the final phrase, that we might walk in them. And what's so curious about this final phrase, it contains this word, this verb in the Greek, peripateo. Peripateo literally means to make one's way or to progress or to make due use of opportunities. And that's interesting in of, of itself. But what's even more interesting is the verb tense. And we discover that it's uh, aorist, active, subjunctive, first plural. And the part of that that I want to point out is the subjunctive mood. What does the subjunctive mood mean in the Greek? It is the mood of possibility and potentiality, meaning the action described may or may not occur depending on the circumstances. And in this context, the circumstances that it is dependent upon is our faithfulness. Yeah, this verse does not work for a, a hyper-Calvinist. We are not robots just destined to complete all of the assignments. That is not how Paul sees this or the Holy Spirit telling Paul. It's potential. But those good works have been apportioned to each of us. And they will be accomplished based 
on our faithfulness or not accomplished based on our faithlessness. So, why take on the responsibility? Why be looking for what's next? What else? What more? Why do that? In order to fulfill God's destiny for my life. I'm not looking for anything more than the portfolio that he set aside. But I would have it all. How about you? Good works prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. So faithfulness means joyfully embracing the little. That's part of the portfolio, but always being ready and willing for the much. And what we see in Joshua is that he is ready and willing for the much. He's taking the baton of leadership, a baton that almost destroyed Moses on multiple occasions. In fact, Moses begged God to kill him. Leadership of the Jews was so difficult at times. He said, God, please take my life. And now Joshua is taking that. He was ready to do big things for God, but his preparation for those big things did not happen overnight. He was faithful in very little over the long haul, so he was entrusted with much. And in our remaining time, I want to take you up just from this point back in his story and show you three vignettes, three portraits of the man Joshua, three points in his life where we go, there it is. There's the faithfulness in little. This is why he is being entrusted with much. The first one is Joshua the soldier. And this portrait of Joshua is going to teach us that no matter who you are, faithfulness will always require courage. It's going to rattle your cage. You're going to get a burst and a boost of adrenaline at times. You're going to step into things that you go, I'm not sure I can do this. And that's the point. You're going to step into that. So, so Exodus chapter 17 is the first time we actually see Joshua in the Old Testament. And just out of the chute, it says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. Now, little context, this is only uh, two to three months after coming out of slavery. They're still on their way to Mount Sinai. It was very early on in the wilderness wanderings, even before they, they know that they're going to have to be out there 40 more years. But they come across this group of people that God is ready to wipe from the face of the earth, and they're standing in the way, and Moses says, you're the general now. You have to go out and fight them. And in the, the account, this is the one where Moses says, I'm going to go up on the, on the top of the mountain with Aaron and, and her, and I'm going to pray. And so Moses is the man of God. He is the prophet uh, interceding in prayer with his arms raised, this, this kind of body position of intercessory prayer. And so long as his arms are up, in looking down on the battlefield, Joshua and, and the soldiers of Israel are overcoming the Amalekites. But as Moses, and understand Moses is over 80 now, 80 and 2, 3 months old, he's like, oh, my arm. 
arms and they start to fall. And as his arms fall, the Amalekites start to overpower the Israelites. And so uh, Aaron and Hur come and at first they raise up his arms. Really beautiful picture of leadership and prayer and and that we absolutely need to be engaging the unseen realm in prayer. It's not just the people doing the do's, but it's this. And then over time, they actually uh, make rocks, pile up rocks under his arms so he can just rest like, oh, dear God, thank you for rocks. And, and the sun goes down, and Joshua and the Israelites totally obliterate the Amalekites, wipe them out. And it says this in verse 13, And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So, so imagine this. What business does this guy have waging war? Two to three months ago, he was, he was making bricks for Pharaoh as a slave. I'm fairly certain Pharaoh did not allow him to practice with a sword. And now he's hearing the word of Moses and saying, yes, sir. And don't think that he was not triggered by that. Like, oh, they were so full of faith. They were such, oh, it's a different time. No, 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 no. He's a human. You've never been in war before. Cold steel sharpened, cutting through bone and sinew. Ow! And you got to step onto the battlefield having been a slave two months earlier, and it's like, it's go time. And yet he doesn't flinch. He must have been terrified. And yet he does not hesitate. Because faithfulness requires courage, and he had courage. Nelson Mandela said this about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And so what's the lesson for our life? Uh, no matter where you're at in your walk of faith or your chronological age, faithfulness means saying yes more than you say no. Faithfulness means trying something new, something difficult, something nerve-wracking, something challenging, embracing risk. Faithfulness means doing hard things. And so we need to be those people no matter where we find ourselves. What's, what's going to be the next challenge to stretch our walk with God and our, our ministry skill development in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because faithfulness requires courage. Here's the second vignette. Joshua, the servant. And what we'll see at this vignette, this, this portrait, is that faithfulness flows from loyalty. He's a very loyal man. He's loyal to his Lord, and he's loyal to his leader. Now, in this vignette or this portrait, we have three sub-snapshots of, of seeing just the, the loyalty of this man. The first is this. Did you know that Joshua accompanied Moses up Mount Sinai the first time? He was there on the mountain with Moses the entire time, 40 days and 40 nights, I don't think he had water or, or food himself, but he doesn't actually get credit. It's Moses that went without food and water for 40 days and received the law. But Joshua's right there with him. We find this in Exodus chapters 24 for, through 32, both the going up and the coming down together. And we read this in uh, 
Exodus 24, 13. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua. It's the first time he's called his, his assistant or um, sometimes it's translated servant. It's his servant. It's a sidekick. It's a, his support. And he goes up the mountain with Moses and he's there the entire time. Second snapshot. We see him keeping Moses' tent of meeting. If you've read the Old Testament or you've heard the stories, the scripture says that Moses had a place where he went and he met with the Lord and he met with the Lord face to face as a man meets with his friend. And you think, oh, that's Moses. You know, and he would come out and his face would glow and then he'd put a veil over it and that kind of thing. And again, if you're not reading the details, you miss there's someone else there with him. A loyal, faithful servant assisting him. In Exodus 33, 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. They're both there. And Moses goes in and out, and guess who stays behind always? Joshua. Joshua's learning to live in the very presence of God. No wonder he's being prepared for what's next. He's a man that is hungry for the face of God. One more snapshot in this vignette. Joshua was not only jealous for the glory of the Lord, but he is jealous for the honor of Moses. Remember when I said that the leadership burden or the baton almost killed Moses a couple times? It's actually found in the text that I'm going to read from where, where the people were grumbling and it was just such a mess. It's like herding cats. Okay, we're watching my son and daughter-in-law's dog. His name's Scout, nickname Wumpy. He's like a 10,000-pound uh, Grand Pyrenees. And I woke up really early today and we have like a pack of coyotes around the neighborhood like you would not believe. And we had one right in the driveway and I saw him. And he's yipping and howling, and I am trying to restrain this dog. I am doing everything I can to keep him quiet so my wife and my son can actually sleep, sleep through the night. I got a, he's got a shot collar that does nothing. And I cannot contain this guy. This is like Moses trying to lead Israel. And at a certain point, he goes, dear God, just kill me. And God says, I see it's too heavy for you. I want you to... Find 70 worthy men, and I'm going to take some of the spirit that I've put on you, and I'm going to apportion it on them. They're going to help you carry the burden of leadership. And when that actually occurred, the 70 started to prophesy. And we don't know exactly what that means. It might be like the New Testament speaking in tongues. Something supernatural, something a little bit interesting and, and unique. And the scripture records that Joshua didn't like it. And we don't know exactly why until Moses says this in Numbers eleven twenty nine. 29. But Moses said to, to him, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? I can see that you care about my leadership, my honor, that I'm the only one with the power and authority of God, and that everyone should look to me. I think that that's what this is getting at. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Joshua, it's not a bad thing. I know you want me to be honored in front of the people is special so that they won't be rebellious and crazy and unrestrained. 
But it would be better if God's Spirit was on everyone, as many as can actually have the Spirit. Isn't it wonderful to live in the New Testament that what the New Testament says is we all have the Spirit who are in Christ. Moses was, was looking for this day. And Joshua was nervous about it. He was jealous not only for the glory of the Lord, but also for the honor of his leader. He was loyal to his Lord and to his leader. Faithfulness flows from loyalty. Here's the, the last one. Joshua the spy. Joshua the spy. And what we're going to learn from this vignette is that faithfulness actually means full of faith. Faithfulness. Full of faith. So this is actually found in Numbers 14. Um, so this is about 22 months into the wilderness wanderings now. And they still got a chance when we come into this account, they still got a chance of honoring God in inheriting the land within two years of being delivered from slavery. And out of an abundance of wisdom, Moses appoints 12 spies to go in and do reconnaissance. What are we up against? Just because God has given this, us this land doesn't mean that we should go in blind and not have a plan. And so he sends in these 12 spies to, to understand what are they walking into. Now, all 12 of them have been delivered from slavery. They lived through the 10 plagues and the Passover. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They drank water from the rock. They ate the bread of angels. And yet when they crossed the Jordan and they spent a couple weeks in that foreign land, they said, wow. This is the best land we've ever seen, but these people are crazy scary. And when they returned, they said, it certainly is a good land, but it is way too much. They're too big, they're too dangerous, and there's way too many of them. Ten of them brought this report back to Moses and the people. And two others said, yeah, we saw the same thing. It's awesome. And our God is bigger than they are. Who are the two? We read here in Numbers 14, verse 6 through 9. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Why? Because they were listening to the, the ten spies that couldn't trust God. They tore their clothes. They knew they were in the minority, but they were like, please listen to us. And said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Max Dupree, leadership guru, says this, the first the first duty of a leader is to define reality. And what I love about these two, Joshua and Caleb, is they're living in reality. They saw the same thing that the other men saw. But they believed that God was and that God is bigger. Because faithfulness means... Not burying your head in the sand and not listening to the facts or looking at the charts or looking at the bank account. It means looking at those things. Don't be afraid of the, the data. 
But the data is not God. He's called us to a very spiritual life. And a very spiritual mission and ministry. And yes, we need to deal with the data, but we also need to keep our eyes on the God who is bigger. And so it's no wonder that we read a few verses later, Numbers 14, 30, Not one of them shall come into the land which I swore that I will make you dwell. Not one of them, not the ten spies, but all the people that listened to them that were age 40 and above. None of them, because they were the voting congregation of Israel. Only two are going to get to live into their 80s, besides Moses. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And we see Joshua. Faithfulness means full of faith. It requires courage, it flows from loyalty, and it is full of faith. So it's no wonder that Joshua is ready for what's next. It says here, the first two verses of the book of Joshua, this is as far as we're going today. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, my ser- my, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. It was time for Joshua to lead. He was faithful in little, now entrusted with much. And the lesson, once again, for us is faithfulness means joyfully embracing the little while being ready and willing for the much. And if this helps you, faithful in what's now. Don't overlook what's now. Open to what else and preparing for what's next. Now, we began with the scripture, for we are his workmanship. Who is his workmanship? Well, all people, God loves everyone. We're all created in his image, and we're all his children, right? Wrong. That is not the teaching of the New Testament. We are his workmanship. Who are his workmanship? Go back two verses and you discover those who have been saved by grace through faith. Not of yourself, not your good works, not your self-righteousness, not your goodness or your accomplishments, lest any man should boast. We have been saved by grace through faith. We are his workmanship. Are you his workmanship today? You might be raised in a religious household or just generally believe the facts of Christianity or you're a Christian because you're not a Muslim or something else. But do you know for sure that you're his workmanship? Because the requirement according to the scripture is a a personal step of faith. And the scripture requires uh, or describes it as believing and receiving. Where you say, Jesus, I not only believe, I'm asking and I receive you. Not because I'm worthy, not because I'm good, not because I'm deserving, not because I'm so smart or so good that I like Jesus, but because I'm a sinner who's desperate for forgiveness. That's what the New Testament teaches. And for all those who call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Won't you call on him right now? Right where you're at. Call on him in your heart. Dear God, I'm a sinner. Dear God, I believe Jesus came to die for my sins. Right now I receive him. Please forgive my sins and make me your child. Amen.
And God's word says you are now his workmanship. You have a job to do. But the job begins with faithfulness. And this is for all of us who are his workmanship. It begins with faithfulness in the mundane details of life. You can't get to there from here without going through the middle of faithfulness in what's now. This morning, can I ask you, what's now? What's in it in your life that you absolutely need to deal with? You're avoiding it. You're hiding it. You're lying about it. You're lying to yourself. Maybe you're lying to others. But you need to come out with it. You need to deal with it. You need to, to, to settle that thing, accomplish that thing, call that person, uh, work on that character issue. You need to be faithful. You need to be faithful to that relationship, that friendship, that spouse, that child. What is it that you need to be faithful to? It sounds little, but God's calling you to that faithfulness today. Next, is there something else or something next that you've been avoiding? You've been playing it safe. But God's calling you into something next. A leadership baton is being offered, and you go, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to do it. But you know that it's your time. Faithful in what's now willing and open to what's next won't you take that leadership baton or whatever that thing is and be faithful why would you want to do this let me just end with this it's from another parable parable of the of the, the talents and three different servants two of them got this commendation one of them got a scathing rebuke we want to hear the commendation that jesus gave to these two matthew 25 23 his master said to him one of the faithful servants and we want to hear these words well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we want, Journey Church? Let's give ourselves to the Lord. Lord God, we want to be faithful. We, want, we don't want to lift our eyes up too much. We don't want to have blind ambition and uh, think that we're going to run the world. That's nonsense. We want to be faithful today with what it is you've asked us to do right now. Help us to be faithful in the little. But Lord, also help us to not rest on our, on our laurels, to sit back and phone it in. We want to be people that are always asking the question, what else and what next? And that you'd find people that are not only preparing for what's next, but have willing hearts, even if it's scary, even if it's challenging. Prepare us for what's next. And then, Lord, just bless our time as we study your holy word, all scripture being profitable. The book of Joshua, many spiritual lessons. We look forward to the next couple weeks together. We ask your blessing um, on us and on this church and this community. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.